Um, I feel like this is probably going to be a part of every Sunday for the next few weeks as we lead into election season. Um, I just want to say to you, whether you are in this building or you are online, please be kind. Uh, You don't have to agree. Uh, You don't have to like what you see. Uh, But you are representing Jesus every time you type, every time you post, every time you have a conversation, uh, and you are representing grace, so be kind. And if what you want to say isn't kind, don't say it. And uh, it's just a way that we can honor one another and we can be the church as we navigate through all of this. I get it. Um, There are times when I want to press those keys pretty hard, and I just hear the Spirit of God say, don't go there. Don't need to post it. Don't need to say it. So, okay, can we do that, church? Thank you. All right, last week we started the series on Joseph, uh, one of these central figures in the people of God, and we're going to uh, stay in this story for a while, but, th- but Joseph is an incredibly important to the chosen people. He grows up to, to lead the nation of, of Egypt and as a second in command. He, he really saves the people is what the scriptures say, but there's a, a lot that happens between Joseph, where our story starts today, and before he ends up being this leader in Egypt, and that's what we're going to unpack over the next several weeks. The central message last week was that regardless of circumstances, God was with Joseph. We looked at Acts where it says, but the Lord was with Joseph, but he had all these terrible things happen to him. The Lord was with Joseph. And in the ancient world, hardships, difficulties, uh, any kind of physical affliction, poverty, uh, any of that was always seen as a sign that you were out of step with God. It was kind of like a, uh, a holy karma sort of mindset. That was the worldview. We see it in the book of Job, for instance. You know, Job has all those bad things happen to him. All the, you know, his, his kids get killed. His business is in collapse. He's sick. And what do his friends say? His friends say, you must have done something against God, for God to bring about all this calamity upon you. Just curse God and die, Job, because you've already cursed him, you've already done what you should do. We see this uh, kind of cosmic uh, God karma in the, the gospel. So when Jesus is walking with his disciples, they see a man born blind, and the disciples say immediately, because it's their worldview, Master, what happened? Uh, did this man sin, or did his parents sin that he would be born blind? And Jesus throws them for a loop and says, neither. This happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So what I want you to hear is there is this way of thinking, and we fall into this way of thinking, that if bad things are happening, it's because we're out of step with God. And the truth is, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes in our disobedience, we bring about hardship in our lives, and there's a way that God uses circumstances to discipline us. But in this case, and in the case of Joseph, what we need to see and what we want you to hold on to throughout this series is regardless of what happens to Joseph, the Lord was with him. Regardless of what happens to you, the Lord is with you. And what I want you to think about as we go through this series is that we as humans, our human tendency when we experience difficulties is to do one of two things. We either move towards God to deal with the difficulties or we move away from God in a sort of blaming sort of fashion and we, we lose our touch with God. And what you're going to see with Joseph is he goes through 
unbelievable circumstances, but he leans into God, and by leaning into God, God uses all of those circumstances to grow him, to shape him, and to make him the person that he needs him to be to carry the weight of this incredible ministry that he's gonna entrust to him. So the bottom line is God was with Joseph, and God is with you. So grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, We're gonna read verses one through 11. If you're watching online, I just wanna encourage you, whatever you're watching, whether on Facebook or through the web, uh, that you would have your Bibles with you, that you would have your your, uh, uh, journal with you, something to write on. I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you to underline in your Bible if a word jumps out to you, to interact, to to really just allow the word of God to to work in your life. Genesis 37, I'm gonna read verses one through 11. We got it? Got it, that was very enthusiastic. You got it? All right. There's only a small percentage of you here, so you just need to be louder, okay? (laughs) All right, you got permission to be loud. Where's Denny when we need him? Out there somewhere in the world, you just heard, amen, brother. Anyway, (laughs) Jacob, uh, where are we? Genesis 37, verse one. Jacob lived in the land of his fathers, sojourning in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Behal and Zelpah, the, his father's wives. This is also sometimes his maidservants, but in this case calls them his wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them back to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peacefully to him. Verse five. Now Joseph, he had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaves arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaves. His brothers said to him, are you intent to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Verse nine. And then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers because it went so well the first time. It's not in there, I just said that. Anyway, and he said to them, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Lord, I pray in these next few minutes that you would allow these 11 verses to uh, come to life in some ways, that you would speak to us through them, that you would use your word of God, that, that your, your word that you have given us to impact our lives in these next few minutes. Would you just speak a personal word to each one of us? I pray that we would leave this building different than we came. I pray that we would leave this broadcast, if we're watching online, different that we would hear a word from you and that we would respond to that word in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. I struggled a lot when I was putting together this message to figure out what the, the title for the messages. I have to title the messages and I have to send them to the guys so that they can put them on the, on the web before everything goes out. And so um, I actually ended up with two titles and I couldn't narrow it down to just one. So the first title I had was From Arrogant Punk to Humble Leader. 
with the emphasis on arrogant punk this week, we're going to see that Joseph has some character issues that God needs to work out before he's going to entrust ministry to him. And the other title was Family Matters. And in this case, what I want you to see as we talk through this is that family of origin, what we, what we come from, how, we're, how we are raised, even our ancestral background, it matters in our lives. Your family of origin affects you both in positive ways and in negative ways, and you need to be aware of it. There's an intentionality that you need to bring to the table. If you are not intentional in thinking this through, you are going to get caught up in some unhealthy patterns. And we see some of these unhealthy patterns as we unfold the story. So the story starts letting us know with where Jacob and, and where Joseph are. It says that they, they lived in a land uh, where he sojourned in the land of Canaan. This is just a map. If you are uh, a geography person, you probably already recognize this. This is what we know as modern-day Israel, Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem's right here. Just north of Jerusalem is the city of Shechem. If you will see that word come up, that city come up even in our passages over the next few weeks. But one of the things I just want you to see is this is the land. Shechem is that place where Abraham went, where Abraham uh, had his, his, his moment with God when God promised him the land and promised him that his, his ancestors it would be as many as the stars in the heaven. This place called Shechem is so central to the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, a good homework assignment for you this week is just to Google the city of Shechem in the Old Testament or those two words and then see how many different places this city shows up in the Old Testament. It'd be a great thing to do with your, your kids if you want to do something this week as a way of just studying how often this city comes up. I'm just bringing this up to let you know that this is where they live and this is where Joseph is taken from. He's taken to Egypt and he says in the end of our story, he's going to say, when, I, when you go back to the promised land, take my bones with you back to the promised land. He lives his entire life after being sold into slavery in Egypt, but he longs to be back in the promised land. This is that, that place that we see over and over in scripture that we're still central to, to history right now. This is the promised land, and this is the area where Joseph has literally pitched his tent. This is where Jacob has set up his tents. This is where they're living in this land called Israel. Verse two, it says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Behel and Zepha, his father's wives. And the, what the text is trying to tell you here is he was a boy, and he was hanging out with these men. And we don't know how old they were, but they were probably more likely in their late 20s, maybe early 30s. He's 17, and he's hanging out with them. He's pasturing the flock. Verse three says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. It's pretty fascinating, as I studied this week, as I read different commentaries and different people talking about this story, how often the writers would say, it's very common for parents to have different affections and different ways of feeling towards their different children. That there are times when one child tends to be more obedient or likes the same things that that parent liked, and it's easier to become somewhat attached to that particular child. Almost every commentary said that that's a pretty normal. But they also all said, but there is a warning in this. 
that if that happens, you have to be intentional to make sure that you don't show favoritism, that you don't, don't elevate that one child beyond where they need to be. So there's, there is this picture here of their, they're identifying the family dysfunction. Israel loved Joseph. Just so you know, when you see Israel, see Jacob, same person. Remember, God changed his name, so don't let that throw you off. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And then it says, and he made a robe of many colors. If you go back and you look at the original, the, the Hebrew language there, it's probably better translated. You, you like that? <laughs> kind of cute. Thank you, Duane. Um, we'll talk about the fact that the coat probably didn't quite look like that, but it does pretty good for the graphic here. Uh, anyway, if you go back, the, the original language probably is better that it was an ornate coat, not necessarily many colors. As a matter of fact, it was probably a white coat that went all the way down to his ankles, and it was embroidered with colorful threads, expensive colorful threads. So it was ornate, it was, it was beautiful, it was, it was opulent. I always picture it more like this, the patchwork, but that's not really what they're describing. What they're describing is the, the common wear of royalty in that day. It was worn by the opulent, the noble, by kings or sons of kings. And one of the things you might have heard me say if you've been here very long at Grace, whenever you read about robes in the Old Testament, it's always substantial. There's always a major reason for it. So we see, for instance, if, if you remember when, when we had the story of the king in Nineveh, when he hears the warning of Jonah, what does he do? He removes his robe and he sits in the ashes. Why does this text say that? Because he, like, he humbles himself by removing the symbol of his kingship and he sits in the ashes. There's a story of Jonathan and David, remember their best friends, and, and Jonathan removes his robe and gives it to David. That's substantial because that was a sign of his inheritance to the throne. There's a scene where Samuel or um, Saul disobeys uh, God's word and Samuel reaches out and grabs and he tears the robe. So every time you see the robe in the Old Testament, it means something. And so it meant something here too. It wasn't like, hey, I just want you to have a gift. That gift of that robe was a symbol to all of his brothers that Joseph was special, that Joseph was in charge, that Joseph didn't have to do the same things that all of his other brothers had to do. It was setting him apart, and it was, most commentators, most experts believe that it, what Joseph what was really saying to, Jacob was really saying to Joseph was, was, you're in charge. You are the head of the family in a lot of ways, and this robe signifies that for you. Now the brothers, it says, they were jealous. And as I read the story and I think about all of this, I think to myself, well, of course they were. It says that they hated Joseph, and I'm not justifying their hate, but it's understandable why it was so annoying for them, why it was so deep for them. Verse 4 says they couldn't even speak peacefully to him. You know what that actually means? It means they couldn't say shalom to him, right? That was the greeting of the day. That was the way people, when they met each other and when they parted from each other, they would say shalom, peace over you, peace on you. May your life be filled with peace. It's like have a good day, but on steroids. And his brothers couldn't even say, have a good day, Joseph, right? They couldn't say shalom over their own brother because they hated him. I was talking to Meg and I was like, I wish I could think of a modern day example of this. So this is kind of the best I could do. So this is uh, Joe. You guys know Joe Brennan. He goes to Grace here. He's 17 years old. He's got a lovely smile, doesn't he? 
Well, we've decided that we are going to put Joe in charge at Grace. He's going to work under me, and the entire staff is going to report to Joe. Right. We would all be like, well, that's crazy. But Joe would think to himself, it's good to be the king, right? He would be all puffed up. But Joe's going to go to all your ministry events. He's going to tell you where you're messing up. He's going to come back. He's going to report to me weekly how all of you are doing on staff, how everybody's going. Right? We would, we would have a rebellion, right? People would be like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Joe doesn't know anything about ministry. He's not done ministry. Joseph didn't know anything about raising those sheep. He doesn't know anything about shepherding, yet he's the one going out. He's the one bringing back the reports. You can see it's almost ludicrous. The fact of the matter is, Joseph was set up. Just like if I had Joe take over for the you know, second in command at the whole church and he's going to watch over everything, we would be setting him up and we would be causing him to be uh, inappropriately prideful, right? A 17-year-old isn't going to handle that kind of responsibility even though Joe is an incredible young man and feels like God has his hand on his life and I believe God does. He's probably not quite ready for that level of responsibility. Back to our story. You can take Joe off the screen. Thanks. Imagine the scene. Not once, but twice, we see Joseph bringing back a bad report. Not once, but twice, we see Joseph having this prophetic dream and, and telling his brothers all about this, this prophetic dream. Now, you got to also understand this, this dream thing, it wasn't new to the family, right? Jacob had his own encounter with God in a dream, and there's no doubt that he had talked about how God shows up in dreams. God tells us things in dreams. You know, God told me that we were going to inherit this land. God came to me in a dream. So when Joseph starts talking about a dream, this is a family that knows that dreams mean something. He shares with his brothers that they're going to bow down to him. And even his father at some point is going to bow down to him. And they all get mad at him. But I love what the passage says. It says, while the, the brothers get more and more angry, the father knows there's something to this. And he ponders it. He holds this dream in his mind. He keeps it in mind. Now, these are just the opening 11 verses of the story of Joseph. But these verses set the stage for everything that takes place going forward. If you look at this story and the context of the biblical narrative, and Jordan really alluded to this, you begin to see exactly how so much dysfunction could take place. This week in our story, we see this unhealthy favoritism, right? We see brothers deceiving fathers, we see lies being told. We see betrayal. It's a mess, right? Like that painting, it's, it's a mess. And I'm not sure it's worth that much money, but it was a mess. How does this all exist? In a family that's chosen by God, in a family that's chosen to be God's representation. And to really understand how all this dysfunction came to be, all we got to do is look at the entire story, starting with Abraham. Genesis 20, Abraham lies to the king and says, this, this woman who's my wife, Sarah, she's not my wife, she's my sister. 
and the king takes her because she's beautiful. And then God has to actually intervene and tell the pagan king, no, that's not his sister, that's his wife. Don't be with her, otherwise you're gonna die. So he almost brings calamity on the king, but he lies. Why does he lie? He lies because he's afraid for his own life. What does he do? He betrays his wife. He puts her in harm way to make sense. Now, I was thinking this morning as I was going through my notes, man, I wouldn't have wanted to be in that tent later. <laughs> like, I don't know how you explain that one off. Like, I know, I probably shouldn't have given you away, but I didn't know what, yeah, I mean, anyway. So, all right, so that's Abraham's story, right? Abraham has a son, Isaac, right? What does Isaac do? Isaac lies about his wife and tells the king it's his sister. Huh, go figure. Like father, like son. Isaac has two sons. But he loves one of his sons more than the other. Esau is a lot like Isaac, he loves the outdoors, he loves to hunt, he loves to get his hands dirty, and Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. And so we see favoritism, and what we see is this deep father wound in, in Jacob, and he becomes a scheming, manipulating personality, doing anything he can to get the blessing from his father. He's acting out of this father wound. The point I want you to hear, it's so clear that undealt with family sin patterns get progressively worse with the succeeding generations. Let me say that again. Undealt with family sin patterns will get progressively worse in succeeding generations. We see this so clearly in these stories. Small lies and deceptions turn into bigger lies and greater deception. Right, we see Esau and Jacob. We see Jacob betraying Esau. Now we see brothers selling brothers into slavery. It gets worse and worse and worse. The fact is, family matters. We are recipients of good in our family of origin, and if we are honest, we are recipients of bad as well. So what I want to do with the little bit of time we have left is I want to just talk about how do we deal with family matters? Dealing with family matters. And the first thing we gotta do is we got to be honest. When I was in my early 30s, I began to realize that while my parents were faithfully walking with Jesus and they gave us Jesus, and uh, as first generation believers, uh, my, my parents were, I'm so grateful for the way that they walked with Jesus. But there was some family crud there just was. There was some stuff that I had to begin to see. When I stepped back and, and looked at my family of origin, I began to see some common themes. Substance abuse, divorce, infidelity, pride, and a highly critical nature. It was just part of what it meant to be part of my family. I learned as I looked deeper that both of my grandfathers had substance problems. They were both alcoholics, and they both were abusive to their wives. And none of this is, is easy to admit. It's not easy to see. But I had to get honest and see things honestly if I was going to begin to realize where I'd come from and if I was going to break the cycle that was part of my family of origin. I was repeating many of the same patterns. And I learned early that if I didn't lean into the Holy Spirit, I would just pass those patterns on to my sons and to my daughters. 
I had to get honest. And at the same time, I had to do it in a way that honored my mom and dad. I wasn't trying to dishonor my family. I was just trying to see things as they actually were. So first, you got to be honest. And then you got to embrace the good and shatter. I mean, destroy the bad. This is a fairly recent picture of my mom and dad. Uh, They have been married for 67 years. 67 years. Uh, My dad is 93. Uh, He's doing great. My mom has dementia. She's not doing very well. Uh, But my dad cares for her deeply, and he cares for her physically. And and it just, that's the good, right? Like, I want to hold on to that. I want to finish well with Meg. I want to love my wife to the very end. I want to be married for 67 years. I don't know how old that would make us, but I think it's pretty old. Anyway, that's the good, right? I see that in my folks. We went and visited them a few weeks ago, and just to see the way my dad loves my mom, even in the midst of all that they're going through, it's a beautiful picture. That's the good. Hang on to the good, right? But shatter the bad. Let go of the things that you need to let go of. And here's the hard part. And I know I even have family that are listening online, and, and, and I'm not trying to betray family. Uh, I love my dad. My dad was a great provider. My dad loved Jesus. Like I said, he was a first-generation believer, as far as I can tell. But he loved Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was home every night. He cared for us well. But my dad was silent. I've told you that before. My dad never have a- has never asked me a question about my life. He's never given me advice. He never asked me about college. He never talked to me about girls, right? He's just a silent man. And what I realized early on is that's my go-to, even with my own kids. If given my own way, if not breaking that cycle, I would be silent with my own kids. But God wants me to be involved in my kids' lives. God wants me to speak into my kids' lives. So I had to see the bad and shatter that and, and, and lead differently within my family. And that wasn't dishonoring to my dad. Knowing where my dad came from, knowing the abuse that he suffered under the hands of his his grandfather, he did a great job. But every generation needs to get better. Can we own that church? Every generation needs to get better. The point is simple. You gotta embrace the good, honor your parents, honor your, your family of origin, but be honest and break the cycles. Man, this is great conversation with your kids. If you have adult kids, just talk about it. Where did we hurt you? Where did I let you down? What, what could I have done better? If you have younger kids, help them to see those family sin patterns that are normal in life. If you have a history of addiction in your life, you better be talking to your kids about the fact that you have a history of addiction in your life. If you have a history of suicide in your family of origin, don't just assume it's going to You have to talk about it. You have to, you have to do something with it. Every family has stuff. Meg and I have tried to do our best to be parents, but we're human. And our kids are still going to have to break a few things that we handed to them. Not because we wanted to, but because we just, it's just the way that it is. So this isn't a dishonoring thing. It's just a way of being honest. Parents, learn to apologize. Even if it's for things you did in the past. And you're not doing that anymore. But, but remind your kids, like, I know I did that, and I'm sorry. Why? Because it models for them a breaking of a sinful pattern. Imagine how different the story would have been had Jacob sat back and said, wait a minute, that favoritism thing? I hated that. I don't want to do that to my own kids. 
Right? You see what happens here. So how do we deal with the family matters? Be honest, be open, embrace the good, shatter the bad, and bring it all into the light. When it comes to family secrets, we tend to want to keep them in the closet, but it doesn't work that way. I understand why we have that tendency, but the only way you're going to break it is if you bring it into the light and you expose it to the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Pray through it. Allow the Holy Spirit to break those cycles. Talk about it with your trusted friends. Hey, I've been looking at my family story and I see these patterns and and I see them in myself. Will you pray with me and help me to break those cycles? Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your kids. Break the cycles, the cycles of divorce, anger, substance abuse, sexual dysfunction, pride, the list goes on and on. Help your kids to navigate life with less baggage and more freedom. I want to kind of close with just this one obvious statement. Jordan said this as well, and I love this. God uses broken people. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling like, oh, Everything is such a mess. You're in a good place. God uses messy people. God uses broken people. God uses people. He's not looking for you to get yourself together before he can use you. As a matter of fact, you can't do that. If you invite the spirit of God into this, he's the one that brings the healing. He's the one that mends the wounds. All he wants you to do is surrender to him and invite him into this work of growth that he can do. He desires to bring you into this healing relationship. He desires to bring healing into your family. I said it before, but I want to say it again. Let's leave the next generation better. Lord, thank you for the story of Joseph. We have just begun with 11 verses of this incredible story, I pray that you would bring the story alive in our minds and in our hearts, that you would use it to transform us as sons and daughters, as husbands and wives, as fathers and mothers, as ministry leaders. Lord, that you would help us to learn, to grow. Thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for just your incredible grace in our lives and the lives of your people. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit on this place. Amen. There was a group of people that met at 8.30 this morning to pray for you. What they heard was that there are people in the room, people online who are struggling with their thought life. They need to be still need to make sure that our foundation is in Jesus. Some of us just need to confess, and if we are faithful to confess, God desires to open the floodgates for you. As you've listened to me talk, and you know there's some family stuff that you want to pray through, uh, there's people that will meet you in the chapel. They would love to pray for you there. If you're online, you can dial the phone number that's on your screen right now. There's people who will meet you online and pray with you as well. Uh, God bless you. Come back next week as we continue this incredible story of Joseph.